The ninth chapter of Daniel is where we are in our little trek through biblical prophecy. Somebody was asking me about some things about, uh, about this the other day, and uh, what I'm talking about here is uh, I'm, I'm, I'm teaching this book from the perspective of that it is prophetic of the events that are t- to take place at the end of the age. Now, there's some problems with that. I have some problems with that, as a matter of fact. And there are problems with the other um, interpretations of prophetic, what we would consider apocryphal uh, material and apocalyptic literature and hidden messages. So what I'm doing is that I'm coming at this from purely uh, the perspective that, of biblical prophecy. I will be glad to talk with anybody that likes to visit about this concerning the problems that exist with this interpretation. Not tonight, but uh, some other time. I want to review with you just a minute um, what we were looking at last week. And uh, Daniel was engaged in this prayer. It's kind of an interlude, a pause, um, in the midst of these, um, this material that is so heavily prophetic, getting ready to, to come to this passage tonight. And Daniel was in this time of prayer. He began to review the failure of the kings. And um, he he becomes involved in this prayer himself. In fact, he confesses sin himself that related to his nation that existed years before, decades before him. And he confessed the sin of that and as though he were guilty of it himself. And he was vicariously identifying with their sin, confessing that sin. After he confessed his sin and the sin of his people, he began, he moved into a, a period of time of praise in this prayer. You remember that? Verse 7, he, uh, by the way, praise is just, uh, you know, verbalizing, enunciating what I, we believe to be the character of God, who God is, what God is. And so he praises God. Verse 7, he talks about the righteousness of God. In verse 9, his compassion and forgiveness. Verse 10, his faithfulness. So we have these three things concerning the, the character of God. He is righteous and forgiving and faithful. Well, right in the midst of this prayer, he's interrupted. The prayer is interrupted. That's a bit unusual, I suppose, because... Most of the time when we want to really do battle in prayer, we find a kind of a secret place, kind of a closet. And he was focused in this prayer, as we mentioned last week. But right in the midst of the prayer, he was interrupted by the appearance of an angel. This angel was Gabriel in the form of a man. Gabriel comes to speak to Daniel. Now, Gabriel is a God's messenger angel. And he brings this message concerning Israel to Daniel. We've seen him before in chapter 8, and now we see him in chapter 9, and then he disappears from history, and we don't see him again until he comes to announce to Mary that she's pregnant. So here's this angel, Gabriel, 
And he comes in verse 20 in the form of a man and interrupts, and he has this message that he wants Daniel to hear. Well, let's pick up with verse 22. And he gave me instruction and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. Now, there are two words there I need you to jot down on your notes. He's come, God has sent this messenger angel to Daniel, and he's come to bring him insight with understanding. Two words, insight means to cause to have comprehension, to grasp the truth of something. So he's come to give him something that he is to grasp and to comprehend. The second word insight is, or understanding is a little bit different word. It means perception or see into. Now I want, you to see, I want to see if I can help you to understand what these words mean together. If, if your teacher tomorrow is on the blackboard and, and he's uh, you know, diagramming uh, this algebra problem, algebra problem, and he's got it up on the board, and he turns around to his class, and he says, do you see that? You're looking at the board there, and you look at it, and you say, yeah, I, I see it, okay? I've been there, and you know, you can see it on the blackboard. And he just kind of senses that you don't see into it. You don't understand it, really. You don't grasp it yet. You see it, but not into it. And so he begins to explain that a little bit. And all of a sudden, one or two of you, not most of you, but one or two of you, just a little light comes on, and you just say, oh yeah, I see it. And you just said you've, you see it. But now you see it in a different way. You see into it. And all of a sudden, it gets you. you you've grasped it, but now it grasps you. Now God said, I, Gabriel said, God has sent me to give you this message, this scheme, the scheme of God. And I want you not only to see God's scheme, but I want you to have insight into it, perception into it. I want you to really let, I want this to really get a hold of you. For you see, it's one thing to, 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 to have the words from God's book or the words from God. It's another thing to really see into it. Now, that's why we have the Holy Spirit. One reason we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come... One of the reasons He came, God sent Him in the world to take the place of Jesus, was that the Holy Spirit would, would, could guide us into all truth, help us see down into truth. That's what He does. Now, by the way, parenthetically, over in the book of 1 Corinthians, it says that the spiritual person, the person who has the Holy Spirit abiding in him, is privy to the information of God that nobody else is. So that by and through the Holy Spirit, man is, is brought into a knowledge of truth that the unbeliever does not have. Now, we have the Holy Spirit does that for us, but now Daniel in his time didn't have the Holy Spirit residing in the world, and so they uh, depended on and trusted angelic visions and voices from heaven and, and all these things. So here was, this, here was this angel who was communicating this message to Daniel and he was going to be privy to some truth that he could see down into that not everybody would understand. Are you with me to this point? Okay, I see you are. And most, some of you are. Let me point out something before we get a little further on. I want you to... Um, Look at verse 23, it says, At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued, 
And I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. So give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. Now, his understanding of the vision is on the basis that he is highly esteemed. I find that pretty unusual because Daniel's just confessed his sin. And he's gone through this long list of things that he's a part of as he identifies with his nation and their sin. And yet here comes this, here's this angelic messenger from heaven and he says, you're going to have this insight into the scheme of God because you're highly esteemed. In a, in a New Testament way, by the way, we get in the New Testament, we, give the, we get the principles of the Christian life. In the Old Testament, we get the pictures of the Christian life so that in the New Testament, you have a position that could be called your highly esteemed, a position in Christ. In other words, because of your position in Jesus Christ, you are highly esteemed. Let me see if I can illustrate that. I heard Ron Dunn tell one time that he... He came home late from, uh, you know, from his uh, responsibilities as a pastor and everybody else had gone to bed and he, he, he thought, well, I'll have a little time of prayer with, with God before I go to bed. He said, I was in my den, you know, in the den, it was quiet. And he said, I got down to pray and he said, all of a sudden it just dawned on me, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't even thought of the Lord at all. I've been busy, administration of things and hadn't even witnessed, hadn't prayed, hadn't talked to anybody about the Lord, hadn't even really thought about God. And he said, I was you know, on my knees, and I was saying, yeah, God, I, you know, I, I'm not worthy to pray tonight. He said, look at all, no, I said, all day long, I've just completely ignored you. I'm not worthy to pray. And he said, God just spoke to his heart and said, come boldly through the blood of Christ to the throne of grace and find help in time of need. God spoke to his heart to say that. He said, all of a sudden, I saw the blood of the Lord covering that den floor, not literally, but spiritually. And he said, I realized that because of my position in Christ, I had access to the very throne of God. Now that's what's happening here. Because of Daniel's position, he has access to God's throne, and God's going to give him information, a perception into a body of truth, seeing into it that not everyone has. Now, I want to read from this New American Standard. You're going to follow along with me. First is 24 through 28. And we're going to kind of wade off into heavy stuff here. Then I want you to permit me to read from the NIV and use this the rest of the way. Okay, New American Standard. Let's read it. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, that is to fulfill prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. If you've got a uh, New American like mine, the word place is there, but it's in italics, means it's not there in the original manuscript. So it could be place or it could be person. It's to, to anoint the most holy. And uh, so, that, so you are to, to know and discern... That, that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, there will be seven weeks. Let me back that up and see if I can read that with a little bit better uh, break in the... In the, in the, in the what's this? So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince... There will be seven weeks 
and 62 weeks it will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come, look at that, will destroy the city and the sanctuary, period. And its end will come with a flood. Even to the end there will be war, desolations are determined. And he will make a firm covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering, offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Now, heavy, weird stuff, right? Let me read it from the NIV. Just follow along. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression and to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. No one understand this. From the issuing of the, of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes... There will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the sixty-two sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come with a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. But in the middle of that seven, He will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And one who causes desolation will place abominations on a wing of the temple until the end that is decreed is poured out on Him. Now, if, um, if I were reading this and I were just going to do a little, you know, I was doing a little studying on my own, I would get me a pencil and a piece of paper and I'd write down some things. I wish you'd do that. I'd write down three general facts. And I'm just going through this, and I'm just writing this stuff down. If I were just, you know, reading it in my quiet time, I'd put down three general facts. I'd put this down. I'd put down a, that a specific period of time is marked out by God. Verse 24. A specific period of time is marked out by God. Verse 24. So that God is telling Daniel that he is marking off, he is blocking off a specific period of time. All right, the second thing I would write down is this. I would write down that the prophecy that he's talking about here is directly related to the Jews or to Jerusalem. You'll notice in verse 24 that he talks about your people and the holy city. So there's no question about the fact that what he's talking about refers to Jews and Jerusalem. All right, third, I would put down this fact. I would put down that the total scene being revealed lasts 70 weeks. 70 weeks. Got those three things? Now, 
He divides these weeks into this. He divides these 70 weeks into 7, 62, and 1. So that you've got a division of these 70 weeks. There's 7, there's 62, and there's 1. Now because these, this number 70, these 70 weeks are extremely important... It is also important for us, it is imperative for us, to try to find out what the word weeks means. Now when you hear that word, you think of a period of time of seven days, of course. Sunday through Saturday, that's a week, seven days. The problem with that is that if you take this as a term that refers to seven days, and you multiply it by 70, you got 490 days, that's barely over a year. It just doesn't work, doesn't fit. So the word weeks there, the word week must, must mean something other than a seven-day period of time. Well, what does it mean? Well, how do you find out what it means? Well, you find it out from the context. Now, I want you to go back with me to the New American Standard. Now the context, let me show you how the context, we'll just do a little uh, Bible study here tonight, a little you know, explanation of how to do exegesis. It, the, way, the way the context works is like this. If I go in a donut shop in the morning, they got all these donuts sitting there in a case, and I walk up to this lady and I'll say, I'll take a dozen. Is she going to say to me, of what? You know, I mean, the context you know, makes the fact that I want a dozen donuts, right? I mean... This is yes, and this is no. So I say I want a dozen. She's not going to say what, you know, cars or... She's going to hand me a dozen donuts. I go in a store, it sells eggs. And I walk in this store and I walk up to the counter. I say, give me a dozen. She's not going to say what dozen of what. She's going to pull out a dozen eggs. Because the context makes, you know, all the difference in... in, in, in what we're, what we're doing, what we're, how we're understanding all of this. Now, what is the context of this? I want you to look back to chapter 9, verse 2. Now, we, we were looking last week, and we said in verse 2 that Daniel was interrupted as he, you know, in this process of this prophetic revelation, and God put him on his knees. But what was he doing prior to the time that God interrupted him and put him on his knees? He was reading from the scroll of Jeremiah concerning the 70 years of captivity. Now watch this. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of years which was record, revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet concerning uh, for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Now, the context of this is that Jeremiah is dealing in terms of years. It is my humble and accurate opinion that this weeks is a reference to, and it's called in, in biblical prophecy, it's called a biblical week. The biblical week. If you want to find an example of it, you look over in the 29th chapter of, of Genesis. Don't look now, but there's an example of a biblical week. It is a, the, the week there is a reference to seven years so you have seven years. You've got 70 biblical weeks. That is, you've got 70 times seven years. 70 weeks and a week is seven years, right? Okay, that's how we understand that. So you've got 
70 times 7 years. Now, you math geniuses can know that means 400 and what? 90 years. 490 years. Now, I want you to write down in the specific truths these things. There is a block of time of 490 years. We're coming from that assumption that there's a 490-year period of time that's blocked off for the Jews and Jerusalem in order for six specific things to occur. So that in this 490-year period, six specific things are to occur. Number one, verse 24 names them. It, there's the finish of the transgression. The finish of the transgression. That is the completion of the exile. Second, the filling up or the making end of sin. Now there seems to be by scholarship that, that this is a reference to the fact of the sealing of sin and, they, and, and as, so as to hold that for punishment in the end time. Whatever it means, it means to make an end of sin. Third, to atone for iniquity. There's going to be an atonement for iniquity in this 490-year period of time. Number four, during this 490-year period of time, there's going to be the bringing in of everlasting righteousness. All this in verse 24. Number five, the sealing up of prophecy, that is, the fulfilling of prophecy. And number six, the anointing of the Most Holy. Whether that's one or that, that is a person or a place, the anointing of the Most Holy. So that during this 490 years, there are six things that will transpire. Now look at verse 25, as the plot thickens, they say. I'm reading from the NIV. No one understand this from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes. There will be seven sevens. Now, what he's saying there is that from the time that there is the issuing of the decree to rebuild the city of Jerusalem... Until Messiah comes, there'll be 49 years. Seven sevens. Is that how you understand it? Now, here's, here's where some things have to happen. I think it probably everybody agrees that, that you come, to, an, you, you, you come to, what, to a belief, a basic assumption, and you, and you, you see, you know, you, you, I, I, don't, I hesitate to use this term, but you make it work. <laughs> You, you have a, I don't suppose that you could ever come to Scripture totally without some kind of a bias, right? I don't know anybody that does. If you were raised a Baptist, you're going to come to the Scripture with a certain kind of bias toward, you know, certain bias toward that belief. So there is a basic assumption, and we want to work from that. Now, let me show you what I mean. The basic belief is that there's, this is up for grabs and up for debate, but the issuing of the decree to rebuild the city was in 445 B.C. under Artaxerxes. And I want you to write this reference down, Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Now we've been studying Nehemiah in our noon deal on Friday, so these guys that come to that, they know what we're talking about here. 
But, but, but the historian, and, and even in biblical history, the secular historians are in agreement of the fact that Artaxerxes made a decree or gave permission for Nehemiah to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild it. And it was, they even have the day on the, of the month, it was April the 2nd, 445 B.C. Now, if you took 49... From 445 B.C., you're working backwards now, you would come to this number, you would come to this date, 396 B.C. So you're, you're working from the greater to the lesser, okay? 396 B.C. Now when um, was the city of Jerusalem restored? It is a secular historical fact that it was restored in 396 B.C. And as a matter of fact, and this kind of nails and puts the clincher on it, it is a biblical and historical fact that Malachi stopped writing in 396. Okay? All right, 49 from 445 is 396. Now, we got 62 years, you know, 62 weeks times seven left. Until Messiah comes, it says, until Messiah appears and Messiah is cut off. That is, he's killed. He's put out. He's, he's put to death. Now, if you'll multiply right quick in your mind, seven times 62, you'll get 434. 434 years. But when you take 434 years and you are working back to the time of Messiah's entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, which we celebrate today, and the time, and, and, and that same week was crucified, you come to a strange thing. It's, three, it's 38 AD. And you got a problem with that. Because the fact is that Jesus arrived in Jerusalem and is put to death in calendar year 30 A.D. Well, there's a way that scholarship explains that. This is the way. That our calendar is based on the solar year, that is 365 days in a year. But the Jewish calendar was a calendar based on a lunar year, which had 360 days in it. And ever so often, they just add a, you know, add a year or two. Some of you kind of say, whoa, yeah, wait a minute, I'm, I, oh, that's okay. But the amazing thing is that if you take the lunar year, lunar calendar, and you put the lunar calendar on this, the amazing thing is that it comes out April the 2nd, A.D. 30. That's pretty exciting. On April the 2nd, exactly 434 years from the time the decree went out after that 49, Jesus arrives in Jerusalem and is put to death that week. Now, I want you to turn with me right quick to the book of Luke chapter 19. The book of Luke chapter 19. I want to begin reading at verse 39. Hold your place here in Daniel because we'll come back here. Verse 39 of Luke 19. 
Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, I'm reading NIV, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They were out there shouting, you know, Hosanna, Hosanna, as Jesus entered the city. And they said, tell your disciples, rebuke your disciples, tell them to shut up. And Jesus said, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. If they don't shout, the stones will shout. I want you to catch that. If they keep silent, it's not, I'll make the stone. If they keep silent, these stones will shout. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, now he's looking over Jerusalem and he's weeping, he says, And you, even you, had known on this day what would bring you peace. And then there's this, his voice must have just trailed off. But now it is hidden from your eyes. Now why is it that if these disciples had remained silent, the stones would have cried out? Because it is this day that has been decreed in the prophecy of Daniel that Jesus Messiah would make His appearance in Jerusalem. And so wonderful is that event that if the disciples don't hail Him as this Prince, this Prince of Peace, this coming King, the stones know that this day is recorded in Daniel, even though they didn't. Now it's too late. Hey, isn't that exciting? I can tell you're excited. Now, I want you to look back at verse 24. The objective of verse 24 was, there were six objectives. Some of those things have not been accomplished. The everlasting righteousness has not come. Prophecy has not been sealed up. They didn't anoint the Holy One. Some objectives of verse 24 have not yet been accomplished. But we have one week to go. Right? We got seven, we got six, or sixty-two, and we got one. We got one week, one biblical week. We have seven years to go. Now, you remember when I was reading in the 8th chapter of Daniel, I talked about the law of double prophecy where someone would come on the, on the uh, 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 immediate, in the immediate present and, and, and that would be a foreshadowing, a type of that which was to come at the end of the time. You remember that? Oh, Lord. You, I am this close to saying, let's get out. You, do you remember that? Mercy. That was Titus Andronicus, came into the city, brought the pig in the holy... You remember that? And, and that was accomplished, and it was a foreshadowing of what? The one who would come at the end of time and be the same kind of one. Same thing happens here. I want you to go back with me. Look at that verse. Um, verse 25, 26. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now, if you hold to this, the biblical prophecy as we've talked about it to this point, that's a reference to Titus Andronicus who came in AD 70 and destroyed the city of Jerusalem and tore down the temple. It's never been rebuilt. 
And he was of the Roman, this Roman general who came into the city, tore the city down, streets ran with blood, wiped out the temple. It's never been rebuilt. Now, let me see if I can picture this. There's 70 weeks of years, 490. 69 weeks of years, 483 have already accomplished. To the, and so what we have is, eight, we're up to AD 30, the coming of the prince and the crucifixion of the prince. And there remains an unresolved period of time called one week. Now biblical prophecy says that this is a parenthesis that we're in today called the church age, an unresolved period of time. At the end of this unresolved period of time, there will appear on the scene the Antichrist. If you believe in the rapture of the church and pre-tribulation rapture, it occurs there, three and a half years, those kinds of things we'll look at later on. And so there is this period of time called the parenthesis, called the church age, at the end of that, seven years that this other transpires, look, the end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven, but in the middle, three and a half years of that seven, He will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And one who causes desolation will place abominations on a wing of the temple until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. And uh, seems to be an indication of that historical figure that we refer to as the Antichrist. There are problems with that, of course. All right, now two things and we're out of here. We'll pick up from that. It's called the backbone of biblical prophecy. So we're just, we're, we'll, we'll put some meat on this later. Some t- two things that I need you to go away with, with, with by way of application. Number one, that God deals in specifics. He does. He deals in specifics. God is a God of details. If you've read the book of Exodus, you and, and seen how God has given details concerning the tabernacle. He, he, he didn't just say, uh, make an ark of the covenant. He gave the specific instructions of the size and what was on Everything about that. We've been studying for a year right, in my Sunday school class, the construction of the tabernacle. And these minute details which have not just historical significance, but typical significance. He's a God of details. Thus, ask in detail. Ask in specifics. Quit praying in generalities. Quit dealing with God in generalities. Quit asking God to bless missionaries and pray in specifics and deal in details and lay out before God your specifics and their needs. He's a God of details. Second, He's a God who keeps His promise. Let me tell you something. I, I'm, I happen to be one of those people that just kind of just kind of believes the Bible. You know what I'm saying? Now, I'm not all worked up on this problem that's going on in the Southern Baptist Convention. I'll leave that up to somebody else. But, it, but I do believe 
that when God says to Daniel it's going to happen at a certain time, it happened at a certain time. God keeps His promise. And if God keeps His promise, whatever He's promised you, He'll keep. Whatever you offer Him, He'll keep. Whatever you submit to Him, He'll keep. He keeps His promise. But whatever He's told you, you can count on it happening. Let's pray together. Our Father, we pray that You'll help us, not just to hear truth, but to see how we can apply that to life. The details of this, the promise of this. For I pray in Jesus' name, for His sake. There might be somebody this, t- tonight who would like to come and accept Christ as His personal Savior. This is a wonderful book. And the unfolding of God's plan for the world is a glorious and awesome thing. And how, how you fit into that is just beyond comprehension. God has your name in here. And He has a plan for you. And He wants your life. Don't throw your life away. Give it to God. Give Jesus a chance. Let Him come and live in your life and be your Savior. Go, get on the winning side. You know, get on the side of history, biblical history, purposeful history. Maybe you need to come tonight and rededicate yourself to Christ. We, we are a people of indifference and complacency, and we, we just get this stuff and it just kind of runs off like duck water off a duck. This is truth. And it's truth not to put in your pocket, you know, and you know, carry around with you. It's what God has for your life. And, and maybe you need to make a new commitment of your life to the Lordship of Christ. Or maybe God would lead you to join our church. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.